0: Howdy. Uh This here old show may contain some cussing, some uh, discussions of a non-biblical nature, and if that sort of thing does not sound like something you'd be interested in listening to, then I would suggest you turn around right now, fella, and uh, just head out the other way. saloon's down the street. They got some nice girls there. They must be destroyed on sight. All right, we're back, and we are starting our Spaghetti Western series, which should be a lot of fun, is They Must Be Destroyed on site, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Lee. God forgives. I don't, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel, killer adios, Harper. How are you doing, sir?
1: I just got done dragging a coffin through the mud, and uh,
0: boy, are my arms tired. Uh, was it just full of gold, or was it just full of a machine gun, or both? It,
1: it was. It was uh, full of um, hopes for a better future. I don't know. I, I had no. I had no further jokes. So yeah, that's
0: fine. <laughs> I'm going. To, I'm going to try to uh, work in a really bad spaghetti western title for <laughs> for our introductions for every episode in this. No just, problem. It sounds like a plan. Just so you know, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start off our uh, spaghetti western series that we're gonna be running all month here in September, and uh, we're gonna be starting out with Django. We're gonna be talking about Django. We're gonna probably talk a little bit about the sequel, a little bit about Quentin Tarantino's homage to it, and we'll mention some of the uh, many, <laughs> some of the many sequels that uh, have been made, and just plain old ripoffs that have been made. Hopefully, uh, you'll find this fairly informative. We're not going to sit here and pretend that this is going to be any sort of grand scholarly look at Spaghetti Westerns as a whole, as a genre. We're just pretty, kind of do our usual thing, where we just sort of watch movies and say what we think about them. So, it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, I think we've been both been really excited to do Spaghetti Westerns since the beginning, and uh, I can't wait, personally.
0: Yeah. And hey, look who just jumped in. Paul just jumped in. Hi. How we so, doing? Uh, we're doing good, so uh, I can actually use your uh, introduction name, Paul Savage Gringo Romali has just joined in.
2: Hi, I'm Nico, how are we doing? Want to kill some Spanish people today? Let's do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we actually got the whole gang back together, it's been a long fucking time since we've had everyone recording together. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah the whole gang back together, we're here, we're doing it, I, my house is a disaster.
0: It's awesome. Right on.
2: I'm doing some massive construction with hammers and drills. That's not good. Right
0: now. Not right now. Yeah. Uh, so we got some comments to go through. Uh, we'll try to breeze through them here really quick, and then we'll get to the review. A couple comments from CB Fall for our Johnny Mnemonic and Starship Troopers podcast. He said, uh, "Very cool podcast. I totally agree. Johnny Mnemonic is not one of Keanu Reeves' best movies in any way. Starship Troopers for me." Uh, the plot is cool, the dialogue less so. <laughs> and then he says in regards to Daniel's uh, latest intermission episode, excellent intermission episode. So
1: awesome. Well maybe he's actually maybe he's actually listening.
0: Yeah, Who knows?
2: I hope he is. You
1: completely disagree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I disagree as well. It was terrible.
2: Does Greg still talk, make you know the, the tit references, or does he not do that
0: anymore? Greg doesn't comment anymore, because he actually has a job and a life, so he doesn't listen to his... Oh, as... what a failure. Yeah, I know. It's, it's terrible when you see people actually succeed in life and get to do things, and they don't have time for shitty podcasts anymore.
1: <laughs> well, suffice to say that none of us are ever going to run into that problem.
0: No, no. I don't think so.
2: I, and I'm thankful for that, God damn
0: it! Yeah, God damn it! Our friend Mike Murphy from Badass's Boobs, and Body Counts podcast says, uh, in relation, again, to our Starship Troopers and Johnny Muma- Jumanic. J- I, I almost said Jumanji. Jumanic. I love like it. I almost <laughs> Johnny
1: said John- Jumanji. Yeah, no, I know. That's a mashup I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I've only got 320 gigabytes of data in my head, and then when it starts to bleed out, they're going to be like magic rhinos all
0: over the place. <laughs> Uh, he says, great episode guys, couple things Lee Russell should have put up more of an argument with Daniel Harper in regards to Starship Troopers, and just by the way, I'm using the full names here because I just cut and paste right from Facebook, so you know, it's the link thing where it uses your full fucking name I should have realized that before I got into this but whatever, anyway, apparently I should have argued with you in regards to Starship Troopers more, he says it is, after all a big budget popcorn film that should never be taken seriously also, though you lightly touch down on the action and set pieces, that's what this movie is all about. It's not about love story, it's about a homage to 50 sci-fi films and all the gory set pieces, not to mention the amazing special effects in regards to the bugs. This one needs to be watched without any preconceptions of what it could have been. Lastly, the performances are pretty bad, and I honestly think that's an homage to older sci-fi films as well. And yes, Dina Meyer is the best performer in the film, and Casper Van Dien should have had a bigger career on his looks alone, though he really can't act. I'm ending this with this. Man, there's a lot of good-looking people in this film, and then he provided a picture of Adolf Hitler with a six-pack of abs. Hey. My <laughs> icon. I like that. I like the
2: fact that if I was an actor in just the right film, the fact that I couldn't act would be called a homage to something. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and now also I think Kit Power chimed in there saying that he, if if he uh, had his chance, he would have disagreed with both me and Daniel. He would have fought us on this film because it's one of his favorite ones. So, uh, yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get to have that conversation with Kit one of these days. All I'll say is you know. The filmmakers explicitly say they were trying to make this allegory and satire, and to read it that way is not... I mean, yeah, okay, if you treat it as a big, dumb action movie, it's still not that good, because the action just doesn't quite work, because there's no, nothing ever at stake in any of the sequences. Yeah. So, yeah, it was supposed to be really dumb. Yeah, that's the whole idea. Okay, if you like this movie, I don't have a complaint
0: about it, but it doesn't work for me, so, yeah. Um, I
2: like the co showers.
0: Yeah, I think I think we all approve of the Coen Showers. <laughs> Pretty
2: much, as far as what I remember of that film, that was the only good part in it. So I don't. I, don't
0: I think we kind of agreed on that as well, for the most part. <laughs> no, not the only good
1: thing, but you know, certainly the the most memorable. You
0: know? Yeah, definitely. There you go. Uh, there you go. That's a nice way to say it. See, he's a nice guy. I th- I think he might have a point with the performances. That, that that might that might have been part of it, but I mean also the fact that Denise Richards and Casper Van Dien are just kind of garbage actors in the first place. Also kind <laughs> well, of. I get
1: I get what Casper Van Dien is going for. He's going for this kind of like straight laced meathead lunkhead kind of character. Yeah. And so I get that like I mean I get that to a certain degree the performances are pitched in that direction to be kind of overly broad and and overly uh, you know slightly wooden to go with that, but. I mean, it just kind of... I don't know. I mean, it works on that level, but it, it still doesn't... It's one note. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, I get what you're going for. Do I need two and a half hours of this, or two hours and ten minutes of this? Yeah. You know, and the answer is no.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. And Mike Murphy had a uh, follow-up comment here. Well, not a follow-up to this, but he had another comment on the page. Uh, he says, I keep needing to do this uh, in answer to your question of what director, actor, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you would take to an island. Uh, his uh, And by the way, I've, I've got a name for this game now that we uh, play every once in a while when we have someone new on the podcast. It, it's basically, there can be only one filmography. That's the name of the game. And he says Clint Eastwood, his full body of work. And yeah, that's a good choice, I think.
1: Any Desert Island pick that doesn't include the film Pink Cadillac, it's incomplete, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then, of course, this spawns some uh, response comments from uh, two of our... Uh, compadres and podcasting. Uh, James Murphy said Charlton Heston would be his pick because you get Planet of the Apes, uh, which is maybe his favorite film. Uh, he gets Wayne's World, Omega Man, and he says in uh, an Orson Welles picture too, uh, Touch of Evil. So He um,
2: liked Omega Man? Uh, Omega
0: Man, yeah, he likes Omega Man.
2: I was, a, I was always more of a fan of Last Man on Earth, more so than Omega Man, but it was all right.
0: Yeah, I, I think our I think you and I both share the same opinion there, Paul, where our heart our heart goes to Vincent Price in black and white fighting fighting zombies. But, uh, and the winner zombie, is Yeah, Vincent Price. But uh in walking around Rome that's supposed to double as fucking the st- the streets of America and it just doesn't work at all, but <laughs> somehow it still does. <laughs> um, well, uh, but, Rome
2: is very much like, you know, and nowhere around America.
0: Yeah, yeah, much. you know. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, but Charlton Heston's a good pick. I mean, there that covers a fucking vast fucking swath of films. Uh, so yes, and very good films too. Yeah, I mean, uh, whether you whether you like Charlton Heston personally is or or whatever, I I kind of consider him one of the greatest actors ever, and he, he really fucking great. he was
2: really good in Rush Hour too.
0: What was <laughs> was he in that?
2: Was it was that a different guy? What was I can't. Remember.
0: I, I know he was. I know he had like basically bit parts in some like '90s action films and stuff as his career was winding down. I'm, I'm trying to remember specifically what they were, but uh, it, it's not coming to me. Y- usually, I just remember him for his like little uh, handful of sci-fi films that he did.
2: I mean, didn't he? Uh, wasn't he? Uh, no. no, if he wasn't, please sorry. But was didn't he do Ben Hur? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, because that was yeah okay Ben Hur, and then I mean obviously, Planet of the Apes is one of my favorite films ever. So.
0: That
1: was a big one for me. Yeah, any career that spans, you know, Planet of the Apes, uh, Ben Hur, Silent Green, and Touch of Evil. That's not a bad choice. You know, that's a, yeah, sure. I can, I, I, I can go with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jack Graham uh, chimed in and he says um, he'd probably be picking uh, Peter Cushing for his pick because uh, oh, he wow. says you get you get some Dracula, he get loads of Frankenstein, uh, some Sherlock Holmes. Uh, sure. Actually. a yeah, and uh, some Doctor Who and uh, a bit of uh, Star Wars and lots of other stuff. Star Wars, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he actually uh, followed up. We were having a little conversation there where he says that his character in Star Wars is actually one of his favorite movie villains of all time, basically. Of course it is. It's Jack Graham.
1: is <laughs> <laughs> a great choice. I, I
0: agree. What was the, uh, what was the question? Uh, Well, I'm about to pose this to you, uh, Paul, because uh, you are returning to the podcast. This is the first time we've had you back with uh, both of us. Yeah, we have this new game, and it's There Can Be Only One Filmography.
3: There can be only one filmography.
0: And basically what it is, it's a desert island question, except... You have to pick one actor for the rest of your life. He or she—it's the only filmography that you can uh, watch for the rest of your life on the desert island. And I sort of uh, posited early on that I knew what your answer was going to be, and I think I do know. So I'm I'm waiting for you to uh, answer this one because I think I really I, th- I think I really do know who it's going to be. Tracy Lords. No. <laughs> well, I, mean, That's I mean I'm not gonna jerk off to fucking Christopher Vincent Price. I'm saying like, I'm
2: just saying like, okay, we have to <laughs> still facil- we need to facilitate a few things, you know. No 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 if I, if I mean
3: if
2: I if I wasn't basing my whole experience, you know, sexual experience too off it, I would probably say, um I'm stuck between two people and
0: oh fuck. So you got to consider its it's it's their whole filmography, so think like if it's if it's a male actor who is in a lot of movies with sexy women, that can still fulfill your your jerk off island fantasies for the rest of your life so
2: yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah, not really picking out too many sexy broads mm-hmm. uh, well anyway.
0: if if you don't get this, if you don't give the correct answer by the way. I, I know it's all subjective, but I'm saying yeah. right now there, there is only one objective answer from you for this question. And if you don't right. get it right, I'm going to chastise you on the podcast.
2: Okay. okay, now there's two There's two in my brain right now. There's literally two, and believe me, the plethora of these the, – the, well, uh, now there's three. Shit. This is a hard one, and I don't like you now. I'm not happy <laughs> about that. Because the problem is the one guy I just remembered has a billion films – and yeah, are is. you talking about actors or directors?
0: They can be both, as long as they've acted in some at some okay. point. I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going
2: strictly actor here. No more director bullshit because you're just confusing me and I want to go pry.
0: Okay. okay.
2: But I'm going strictly on the actor side of things. And I just, for some reason, I flashed into one that I don't want to ever miss. But the simple fact is he did 100 films, but 98 were shit, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um... God, I'd have to kill one of my favorite movies in the world. Actually, oh my God, you're killing me. I would say, okay, we don't have time to talk about this all freaking day. I would go, to save some little shred of what I love, I would go Vincent Price. I'm going to go Vincent Price because at least I can watch Last Man of the Earth, which will make me remember Night of the Living Dead, which will make me remember this, which will make me remember that. I'm going to go with Vincent Price. I was going to go with Christopher Lee at first because his he has an amazing – well, he's an amazing actor. He has an amazing plethora of films. I mean, it's just amazing. I thought John Carradine for just a little bit because I wanted to save the howling, but the howling had to die.
0: Paul, I'm so I fucking – I a bullet
2: and I blew his fucking brains out.
0: Paul, I'm so, f- I'm so fucking disappointed in you. I know. Because right all the choices you just gave were all wrong. Well the problem
2: just, is you kinda of put me under pressure. I just woke up and I have a sinus infection. So,
0: Paul Nashee dude.
2: No, no, no. I did I did think Paul Nashey. I did think Paul it was the first one that popped in my head was Paul Nashey. But I can't watch his films all the time. I love his films, for God's sakes. If I like if I watched his films for a week, I'd pretty much not turn the T V on for another year. And I've watched like I've literally done that where I've watched nothing but his films for a month and I was like, you know what? Okay. That TV is not going to – it was like a pile of dust on the TV by the time I turned it on again. So it's not Paul Nashay. I did think <sighs> about it at the beginning. Well, the thing is, with Vincent Price, John Carradine, and Christopher Lee, you have such a breadth of films to choose from that you will never be
0: bored. Okay, well, your, your answer is – technically, your answers are correct and are the good ones, but still very disappointing because I hey, – That's I, okay. I, I –
2: my mom told me this a long time ago, and it really helped me get through life. Paul, no matter whether you win or lose, you'll always be a loser to me. And it really helped.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Your answers technically are correct, but at the same time, they're wrong because it just feels wrong. You you should and be picking Paul Nash. It makes it more Nash. special that
2: way. Because I guess you know why you're crying yourself to sleep that night. You know, I've had those moments. It's good. To yeah. Watch.
0: Well. All right. We'll move on now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we can move right on uh, unless anyone has anything they want to mention, like anything they've watched in the last well, of while. Like they
2: want. I tried to make that as quickly as possible, but that was a very very hard question.
0: It, it was fun at any at any right so uh, yeah, and uh, I've been waiting a while to ask you so. Uh, yeah, you
2: pull you poured salt on me and watched me wiggle like the slug I am. So.
0: That's what this podcast is all about: putting people on the spot. But yeah, uh, if anyone has anything they've watched in the last while, they want to mention. Uh, otherwise, we can move right on.
2: I did not okay. watch Demons 1 and 2, and later you'll figure that out.
0: Yeah, uh, same with me. Everything I've watched in the last while has been for bonus content for October for the podcast. Oh, you
2: so See, you ruined it. Oh. Yes,
0: so all you little kiddies have to wait until then.
2: If I can figure out where it is, I'll show you this quick. Hey, this is... Uh... Something that I hope we can touch on for the podcast, and this is why I'm showing it to you. Okay, so
0: he so just, just so for the people listening to whom he walked off camera, he didn't just stand up and pull his pants down. So
2: No, no, I have my My Little Pony boxes on, so we're good. Okay. I got a the German press book that opens up for midnight. John Russo's Midnight. It's a German press book from nineteen eighty. I think this this one's actually dated 82. but There's a Midnight Press book for John Russo, and I have the actual full-scale, I don't think this is an original print, obviously, this is probably a reprint, but it is the big other Midnight poster for the movie Midnight, and I'm going to get those signed in uh, October at the Night of the Living Dead weekend, which I will try to get you guys footage of for the podcast that'll be and fun by uh, john Russo. awesome and uh, john Napolis
0: oh cool cool so
2: sorry that was a little thing i was just going to show you stuff i h- hate to interrupt the podcast but there you go no that's
0: awesome uh, uh when when you do go to that yeah if you if you can like if you can get some video footage we can rip the audio and maybe get like uh, uh
2: yeah we can we can either uh, pop in some audio uh, video on your site and then rip the mm-hmm. audio and it's all good
0: Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, stick the, we'll stick the video in the actual, you know, YouTube if version get, of this. If
2: I get enough balls, because generally speaking, Lee and I don't deal with humans well. <laughs> um, if I get enough human, like, interaction balls, if I grow them enough, like, if I get drunk, for instance... I, I will actually try to do many interviews with some of the people. They will definitely be small interviews. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, they will be tiny, but I will try to get
0: something. John Amplis, it, even a couple words from him would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Martin, Martin himself, that would be pretty mm-hmm. fucking cool. Yep. So uh, look forward to that, guys. In October, bonus content coming your way. <sighs>
4: Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds?
3: Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs. I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, the Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Glytus, I'm
5: bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it. Send Rick and Banny in Wool Rocket Ajax.
1: So... just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming.
0: Hail Hail Ming. Ming! Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street?
4: Chud too? Black Belt Jones? (laughs) Nightbreed? What's a critter? I've seen those things. Flash? Flash. I guess we could wait a while before the destruction.
5: Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now.
1: You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At WW. You know what? Just Google it for yourself.
5: Just Google it, you bastidges.
4: Hamming. Breaking Two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash
2: Dance? <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash <laughs> Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of
5: it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Out. the mathematics of murder and menace
4: the bb and bc podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of b movies you can find the show on itunes and stitcher radio by searching for bb and bc podcast you can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at bodycounts.com.
5: let's go to work
0: So we can uh, move on now to uh, the main event for tonight. It's going to be Django from 1966. A century ago, on the low hills along the border between the southern states
5: and turbulent Mexico, a mystery man appeared. A man with a sad, have impenetrable face. Been alone? Django! Django, have you never? Who was that man? What was his secret? It's not important. And if I bothered you, will you accept my apology? He was pitiless in revenge, quick to decide, and a master of every weapon. A man everybody would like to have seen dead. Yeah, his name is Django. Django, the title of a film you'll never forget. Django. How many men you got left? Your tongue tied? Or don't want to tell me? (laughs) Too bad, Maria. Django. An audacious man of action, capable of a tender, hopeless love, which could only last a day, but a day which was worth all eternity. I'm glad I made you feel like a real woman. Very glad. I mean jango a new, ruthless, violent film, featuring a great new star, Franco Nero, and a great supporting cast. Sun will be shining.
0: Directed by Sergio Corbucci, who is uh, also known for several other spaghetti westerns companeros from nineteen seventy, The Mercenary from nineteen sixty eight, Navajo Joe, with <laughs> with the bandit himself playing an Indian. What can I not think of his name right off the bat? Smoking the Bandit. Burt Reynolds? Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds playing an Indian, yes. Yeah. God damn. Well, Clicker from Match did it on
2: F Troop, so why not?
0: Yeah. He also did the Hellbenders in 67, and, of course, the Great Silence in 68, which is heralded as one of the great Spaghetti Westerns of all time. Written by Sergio Corbucci, Bruno Corbucci, Perio Vivarelli, Franco Rositti, Jose Gutierrez Messio, and starring Franco Nero as Django, Jose Baldo as General Hugo Rodriguez, uh, Lordana Luziak as Maria Angel Ev- Alvarez as Nathaniel the bartender. Gino Perrins as brother Jonathan. Simon Arriglia as Miguel er- 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 Eduardo Ed- Wild- Eduardo right. Jesus, I'm bad at this. Far-j- Farjardo as Major Jackson. Daniel, I'll let you get to the uh, synopsis.
1: I'm really looking forward to the next six weeks of listening to you stumble through Italian names.
0: Oh, it's going to yeah. be great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so fun, for, for the audience especially. Yeah. For the
1: audience, they're really just, they're just going to skip forward 30 seconds whenever you know, that comes up. And
0: mario
2: yeah. sharted in my pantsio.
1: <laughs> the film opens as our titular hero drags a coffin through horrible, wet, sticky mud. It's a long sequence as the theme song plays in full, and Django seems beat down by the world around him, left only to wander while dragging the symbol of literal death. In other words, we're a long fucking way from Monument Valley. Django comes across the gorgeous Maria, a mixed-race prostitute being tied to a bridge and whipped by a gang of Mexican bandits, presumably without consent. Just when we think we can take no more, a shot rings out and the bandits are dead. Not because of Django, but because of a group of masked Ku Klux Klan-like soldiers, who we later learn are led by the racist ex-Confederate Major Jackson. Django is himself confronted by the henchmen, dispatches them easily, and offers protection to the suffering woman. They go to a nearby town, seemingly deserted except for a tiny whorehouse, a bartender, and a man named Nathaniel, who explains that this border town is essentially a neutral zone between the Mexican revolutionaries and the rampaging ex-Confederate soldiers. Nathaniel is paying protection money to Jackson, and turns a bit of a blind eye to the men's mistreatment of the professional ladies. is having none of that, however, and after confronting a couple of the racist dickbags, he guns down the entire group, save Jackson himself, who promises to come back with every man he's got, 48 to be precise. When Jackson returns with his unstoppable army, Jenga was unflappable, calmly lighting a cigar for himself, for he knows what we do not, that within the coffin is not a dead body, but a fully functioning machine gun, which he uses to annihilate Jackson's group in moments. Jackson himself escapes, and soon Hugo, the leader of the Mexican Revolutionaries, is making plans to steal Jackson's supply of gold from his military base. The two do just that, but Django suspects Hugo is planning on double-crossing him out of his share of the loot, so manages to rig his machine gun in a way that will kill a large number of Hugo's men and sets off with the entire supply of precious metal. He gets quite far in this endeavor at that, and is arguing with Maria about whether she can come along with him or not when the coffin slips and begins being submerged in quicksand. Django nearly drowns trying to get the gold, but is saved by Maria, only to discover that Hugo and a few of the surviving Mexicans are waiting for him. They break Django's hands, first with a rifle butt, then with horse's hooves, and the now crippled hero must work to save Maria, who is in the process, has a gunshot wound to her shoulder. Major Jackson, it is learned, is coming back to get even with Django, and Django meets him in the graveyard, seemingly barely even to hold a pistol, much less use it. When he is confronted by Jackson, however, he regains his preternatural super shooting ability and quickly dispatches the remaining men, and then walks off into the distance as the camera pans across the graveyard in the still warm corpses of the racist murderers.
0: And uh, this was one of the first films to uh, really sort of take the. Uh the mantle that Sergio uh, Leone threw down, this is one of the first Italian Westerns to really kind of take up that style and that aesthetic. Corbucci uh, had actually done several, uh, well, not several, but a few Westerns before this, and like a lot of the Italian Westerns at the time, before Leone uh, really sort of hit the scene, most of them were kind of more uh, retreads of American Westerns. This is one of the first really bright spots in the genre as far as imitations go from uh, Leone, so... uh, Actually, I'll, th- I'll throw it to Paul since he's returning. What what are your kind of initial thoughts on this film there, Paul? Well,
2: overall, I like it. I mean, it's, it's it's gritty. It's dirty. I mean, it does have that kind of Lone Ranger kind of vibe to it. It's this desolate, tortured soul kind of coming out of nowhere to kind of just not even save the day. It's kind of like... He's dealing with his own demons the whole time. It's pretty interesting. It shows a more complex character than some people might get out of this film. He's a very complex person. I like kind of like that lone gunfighter vibe. I don't watch a lot of westerns. So for me, this one is definitely something that I'll remember for quite a long time. There is a lot of uh, racial tension and and things like that in the film too. But um, the one thing I got out of the whole film that other people might not get, there isn't one fucking good person in this whole film. Yeah. They're all kind of shit, you know. What I mean? Like so, it's like you know, hey, you know, it's it's kind of a fun shoot 'em up at the same time too. It has this. I mean, it, I take it for more seriously than a fun shoot 'em up, but at the same time, it's like, wow, everybody in this film is a dirtbag. It's pretty yeah. interesting. It's it's like it's like there's no way to run, where you don't get shit on your shoes. It's pretty. It's an interesting way, and it's it's a it's a weird place to find someone trapped in that you know got there through their own misdoings kind of like um i hate to order another film you guys did but kind of like ravenous nobody got there because they were a good guy they got there because they fucked up and that's kind of interesting and i get this like uh, i i kind of got that from ravenous now now that i see django you know that kind of thing so it's pretty interesting good film
0: nice uh daniel your initial kind of thoughts on this There's nowhere to go without getting shit on your shoes. That's about. That's a.
1: That's a really nice. Uh, you yeah. Know, I, I should have said that instead of reading that whole summary there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. No. It's very much um, part of that. Uh, I mean, this gritty reality. It it uh, really does distance itself from the kind of classic uh, genre, the western genre. It's. One of the greatest of the spaghetti westerns, at least you know in my opinion, you know it's it's almost a deceptively simple plot at first, like like mm-hmm. there is a, there is a lot where you're you're kind of uh watching it and just kind of uh following along, and it's like, oh yeah, there's a gunslinger, he walks in, some bad people show up, he shoots them dead, you know. It's really only on the like second or third watch through that I think I really get some of the nuances of it. And I mean, there's an obvious political angle, um, which you know I'm always interested in. But but beyond that, there's a you almost get the sense that Django is this like almost supernatural force, you know, yeah. that, that he exists in this beyond folk hero. But I mean, he can just kill anybody. Like there's no you know there's no doubt in your mind at any point yeah. <laughs> until the very end, like whether Django is going to prevail in any, you know, I mean, he literally kills five guys with, like, three shots.
2: Like, yeah, he would have been pretty good in, like, Robocop 2, Terminator 2, yeah. He
1: would yeah. Have <laughs> I mean, he, he's, that, he's that kind of unstoppable, and I think that that's interesting when you kind of put it as, he's this guy, he's literally dragging a coffin around, he's literally this just kind of wanderer, and yet he exists in this world that's full of gray and black morality, you know, where there yeah. are the really evil guys and then there are the kind of mostly evil guys, you know. And <laughs> then there are the kind of people in the middle who are beset on all sides who are just kind of, like, compromised by the reality. I mean, you know, like, it, it very much, I mean, the fact that this film begins and ends in mud is not a coincidence, I think. Yeah. This is very, very uh, visually indicative of the kind of thing that the film is really trying to suggest. That's kind of overall thoughts. a uh, Brilliant film.
0: The opening with him walking through the mud, dragging the coffin through the mud, I think that kind of sets the tone like very, very well that this isn't your typical Western hero at all. He's not riding a horse, for one thing. He's he's definitely not above the mud, and if he was riding a horse in a typical Western, it'd probably be just a dusty trail, not a muddy one, you know? Right, um, right. But this, this guy's dragging all of his sins with him behind in a coffin, kind of symbolically, and he's, he's walking through the muck of the worst of humanity. You know, like, there, there's nothing good is going to come out of what he is confronting and walking towards. And you only sort of get subtly, after a while throughout the, the film, what his real motivations are. And even then, his motivations aren't all that honorable. I mean, he, he's essentially trying to avenge the death of his wife. But that's almost kind of secondary after a while because he kind of figures, hey, I can kind of set myself up as well and get really rich in the process, and, and it's it's actually that kind of diversion from his initial path, uh, you know, sends him down. Like that—that's what ends up having his hands crippled and putting him in a real bad spot. And I mean, he just uses people. Like this is a really like, a true anti-hero in the truest sense of the word. He's not Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name, although he's modeled after that character. And the, and the story is essentially kind of a retread of Yojimbo as well, just like A Fistful of Dollars was. But that's just kind of bare-bones skeleton kind of thing for Corbucci to really, like, delve into, like, a really dirty character. Like a, well, a, a, the, a, the, a there
2: is a thing about him that never goes away, and it's like, I hate to quote a Megadeth thing, but <laughs> there is something about him that never goes away, that killing is my business and business is good kind of vibe. <laughs> <him>, that, like... <laughs> I can just keep killing you sons of bitches and making money. I'm cool with that. Like yeah. he's not this like a tortured soul that's trying to become an angel at the end. He's like, eh, I'm still always going to be kind of the
1: shit. Yeah, he he knows he's buried in the shit and he's kind of okay with that. He's kind of you know like this is this is the world and and that's fine. And I mean first he's not going to do anything for Maria. You know he's he's just kind of standing off to the side. This really is he gets caught between this war between these these two kind of murdering gangs, and he does it. Almost on a whim. I mean, you really don't get why he does decide to intervene. You know, like it was fine. It was fine when the Mexicans were whipping her, but then when the when the clan shows up, okay, now I got to do something about this. You know? Yeah.
2: For I was waiting for that like Knight in Shining Armor because I was just watching, but the Knight in Shining Armor was kind of shit too. So now I fucking have to do something. Congratulations. Like. Yeah, damn. I
0: mean because uh, Maria, she's just this. Uh, half-Mexican, half-Indio uh, prostitute who is being like, basically kind of bartered back and forth between these two groups that are warring in this border town, essentially. Uh, she's kind of outlived her usefulness to both of them, I guess. And Django, I think he just kind of sees opportunity, because his, his initial quest is to get revenge on Major Jackson. Okay, there's... I can probably use her in in some regard and he's also already set up uh, a relationship with the Mexican revolutionary like previous to this. So right. so he's going in he's going into this town with a plan already. He he's not like he's not like Yojimbo or Clint Eastwood's man with no name who walk into the town into an existing situation and doesn't know who the players are and actually has to learn as he goes. Jango already has a plan. He's already ready to pit these two groups against each other so they'll kill each other off enough that he can finish the job. But then, of course... His motivations get a little uh, twisted after a while where he, you know, he sees the opportunity of, I can avenge my wife and I can also walk off of a lot of fucking gold. I think his sort of amorality comes out of the fact that the death of his wife just kind of ended his life. Like He, he has those lines to Maria about he, he can no longer love anybody. Like it, it's, it's all gone for him and anyone who tries to attach themselves to him are probably going to end up like his wife did. And so he's got a sort of that fatalistic bent to his character now, where he's just trying to get whatever he can get for himself yeah. at this point.
2: I like I like, uh, like those there's, there's, there's other aspects, and like you see this kind of mentality later. I'd hate to say Django did this. I hate to say that without knowing. It's like I, I, when you were talking about it. Now that I've watched the film too, and you were bringing it up, I just think of Mel Gibson's character and Lethal the weapon. The same deal. And every time he loves somebody, they end up fucking dead. You know, what I mean that's the same thing. Yeah. It's like I think this film is it is now has touched things that I already know. And I think that's very important that I found. I actually sat down and watched Django because I do believe it, it has reaching hands that has touched a lot of the film industry as a, as a whole now that i oh. actually sat down and watched it.
0: Oh yeah. The, the influence of this film is kind of, <laughs> it's kind of shocking actually if you, if you get into it and read about like just how much this film has influenced people. Like, we all We all well know now we've we've kind of established this in past podcasts and stuff where we've talked about how the Italian film industry at the time for from about the sixties to the late eighties or so was big on ripping off every trend that was going and even ripping themselves off where anything that was popular they had to cash in on that name so this film has roughly about thirty unofficial sequels to it, where they actually use a character named Django in the actual film. Whether it bears a resemblance to Franco Nero and his character at all, it doesn't really matter, but they do call it, like, there's about 30 films that call the character Django and try to purport it to be a sequel to Django of some sort. Then there are, depending on how you count it, there is anywhere from several dozen to about 200 movies out there of the title Django in the title that were spaghetti westerns most of these are just retitlings of existing films in germany django was such a major fucking hit that every franco nero film that came out was called django something it didn't even matter if it was a fucking spaghetti western that that's how big he was like franco nero is a major fucking star internationally he's never been so big in the us but this guy is like the George Clooney of his time back in the day in, in Europe. And not only that, he's a he's a great fucking actor. Like He is fucking He's fantastic. phenomenal in this.
1: Also, I just want to say, you know, I I hesitate to wonder what the German version of Strigulum, what that title was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Django and the Magic Girl, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have to look that up now and see if they actually did that, yeah. It, it, there, there's this, you know, Eastwood, you know, you think about the
1: Man With No Name trilogy, Eastwood is so capable of kind of portraying this kind of hardness that doesn't really have any kind of like he's just this kind of hard man, but he's uh, he's making decisions. But I think I think what's interesting about Nero's performance is that there is this softness within him. You mm-hmm. do get this sense that like even when he's making these really hard decisions, even when he is kind of you know, out for himself and trying to get the gold, there is this sense of there is this humanity. There is this, you know, he he, he knows that he has a sense of kind of right and wrong. He's just kind of not caring so much. He's just yeah. sort of like, okay. And he, I do think that there is this kind of relationship that he starts to build with Maria, you know, as the film goes on. You know, he's even though he's not necessarily showing it, I think that there is this sense of he gives a shit. You know, it's not just... Manipulating the people around him I, I think there are other ways for him to go Jackson into uh, sending all of his men into his uh, you know machine gun and then, then yeah. you know, saving this
0: girl you know he does have this kind of coldness to him where he he wants to go straight ahead to I just want to grab whatever I can grab and get my revenge and get out of here but he gets pushed back to his humanity in parts like in, in little spurts every every time he's interacting with Maria, it comes back to him. And at the same time, he's like, I can never connect with this woman on any sort of real emotional level. I've I've got to keep her at a distance, but at the same time, I do want to save her. And I, I love how like his bad decisions lead him back to the bridge that we see him at the start of the film that he finds Maria, and the gold sinks in the coffin down into the quicksand. And I think it's a really good visual metaphor of, like, basically his, his diversion from his original path has led him to his downfall in that regard. And uh, it, it, almost, it almost, in a different movie, if the movie had ended sort of on that note, it would be pretty interesting, I think, as well. But at the same time, I, I just, I really dig fucking seeing him in the fucking graveyard with his... He, he has to use his teeth to take the fucking screws out of the uh, trigger guard right so so he can use his stump fucking hands no, now so
1: that... so here's what I'm gonna ask you is he is he like playing that up, and then like suddenly when they you kind know, kind of show up, he's like, oh yeah, no, and then actually I can still kill you guys <laughs> kinda you like think... a a dope yeah yeah Kay. is that is that kind of... i mean i can't, I can't decide whether whether he's like he knows he's I... being watched and so he's playing it up and getting them to kind of approach him
0: Well, there's, or if there's...
1: There is this sort of, like, almost supernatural element to where he gets this, like, five seconds of, you know, genius he still has, you know.
0: Well, it's weird, because there's this level of hyper-realism in the film, to a certain degree, and then there's this level of sort of fantasy, almost, of superhero Mm -hmm. kind of comic book stuff. And and you'll see this a lot in a lot of Spaghetti Westerns as we go along, where there's a lot of grittiness, there's a lot of realism, you know. It it definitely takes the... uh, the smiling hero of of the sort of classic American Westerns and turns it on its head, you know, it goes much more for, yeah, these people were covered in dirt. They are living in shit. They were living in poverty a lot of times, you know. Every, everybody in this film is fucking dirty. Django's covered in mud all the time. But he's got this almost like supernatural ability to, with the gun, to kill people. And you'll find a lot of Western heroes and Spaghetti Westerns kind of have that ability. I think the, I think the idea that they're trying to put forth here is that Deep down, he has that, such a desire for revenge, ultimately, that he managed to persevere. And he's just, and of course, he's just that good. But at the same time, I think Corbucci kind of paces it in a way that you're kind of doubting. You're like, you're kind of like, maybe Django will get killed, because Corbucci is a different spaghetti western director. Like, I was not enough...
1: expecting that. The first time I saw the ending, I was definitely on that, like, well, he's fucked. Yeah. I mean, the whole point is, like, we're going to end up with Jackson Victorious, and, you know, like... You know, like his mustache trolling villain wins. Like that that's where I expected it to end. And so the fact that he decides to give us the happy ending, it's it's gotta be a deliberate choice, you know. Because also up until that moment, Django has been fucking unstoppable. I mean he's just he's yeah. just like, you know as long as he's got a gun. The fistfight scene, by the way, I want to talk about the fistfight scene.
0: Yeah, I he gets like, his ass kicked.
1: <laughs> but but like how brilliant is that scene, right? My God, I mean I just admire the direction. You know, it's just it's such such a phenomenal scene. But I legitimately kind of. I mean, you look at that scene where his hands are broken, and I mean, you, you think like that's that's about as as bad as what anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. in any movie gets. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's a that's almost like a serial killer move. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, John right. Doe from Seven could have done that shit. You know, like I broke your hands because what you relied on for your business was your hands. <laughs> you know, sort of like, and then when you, I mean, and having the horses like stomp on them and stuff. like, yeah. Oh God, I mean, that's just. I mean, it hurts my hands just thinking about have it now. And then he's still like he's still trying to do the right thing, right? I mean, and I think that that's why. I mean, you can call him amoral, but I I don't I think that amoral isn't. He well, does I, have hints of goodness in him. You know, I, I they're, don't they're, I
0: don't think he's totally amoral. I think it's just like there's some amoral elements to his personality that have, that have come out of the death of his wife, where it's just yeah. kind of, it's just kind of frozen him in certain aspects. But
2: what happens? What happens is with people is when they lose what they have they see what they want, and sometimes that doesn't always play well with their psyche because, believe me, I understand. You know, you see, like, oh, well, I want this now, and I want that now, and I'll do whatever I can to get it because I lost the thing that I actually wanted. You know, that kind of thing, so it does fuck with people. And it plays, this film does play that off extremely well, and a lot of people do a lot of bad things to get that. And even even though Django does have this kind of... um twisted view of reality at this time his true nature which is the good guy does come out watch why is he still remains to this day the good guy in the film in people's hearts is because no matter how much he sees the opportunistic side of things he still tries to do the right thing near the end which is ultimately his downfall too and the uh, the end for me was definitely something that i i loved and it wasn't exactly a good ending because you know he still has to fight through everything and still live an, a, a meager existence alone, waiting for the next next opportunity to come through. I mean so it's definitely a, a very deep 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 ending with a lot of different kind of chaotic emotions going around uh, and, and the, pain, the pain and the pain and the reality and that grittiness just shines through so much on the end that, I, that the ending is something that will stick with most people for quite a long time.
0: That's true because he's he is left broken in the end. I mean, I mean he's got a victory, but I mean at that point, is his victory? It's, it's really all worth hollow. Anything? It's all yeah, hollow. Is, is yeah. it worth anything? Because the the town he walks into is destroyed. The prostitutes have no jobs. Nathaniel is dead. The both gangs are dead. Everyone's basically dead. I, I looked up the kill count for this film. Mm-hmm. He kills ninety five people in this film. That's better than Jason <laughs> in like
2: part one through nine. You know what I mean? Like it's pretty good. Well he wasn't in one so okay geeks calm down I meant two through nine yeah, and there you go
1: <laughs> yeah the, the, those are those are uh, first person shooter numbers you know like, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah that's
2: I mean there's a lot of th- and the thing is that's that's the thing is like it's almost more like a psychiatric film or it's like a like a more look at like okay personal vendetta's personal self I mean because he hates himself because his wife died like he hates sure. his decisions that he made to make this happen. And when you keep, you keep fighting for these negative things, these vindictive things, and trying to you know, have something at the end, all it does is ruin everything that you have in your life and destroys absolutely, literally, in this film, everything around you. So it's, yeah. very, it's, it's more like a very, very in-depth look at a psychosis.
1: Well, what if he hadn't uh, gone for the gold? What if he'd let uh, Hugo keep the gold? And just like, okay, fine. When you get in power, you'll pay me back. Like if he'd been able to let that go at that point.
2: Well, he wouldn't have because he has trust issues.
1: See, well, yeah, I want to. I mean, I mean. See, I mean
0: <laughs> I'm gonna cry myself to sleep now. <laughs> We're good. Uh, well, he he would have been better off. Like that's the thing. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Make, I mean, that opportunistic streak comes in where he makes some bad decisions and. And that, and I mean, his bad decisions essentially kind of lead to a lot more deaths than there should have been.
1: I mean, I mean, he murders, I mean, all these Mexican revolutionaries with mm-hmm. a machine gun just as a diversion, so he can get the gold out. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, which is, I mean, really, that makes him as bad as anybody in the film, right? You know, in terms of, you know, right.
2: like that, There, his... there is no good guy in this film. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing way to to shoot a film that I don't think many many films even after have tried. It's
0: very interesting. Yeah, you got to root for the like the least evil motherfucker essentially in this film. I mean, I mean, I guess you can argue that probably Maria is probably actually Maria and Nathaniel are probably the more semi moral good people I in mean, the
1: film. N- Nathaniel is compromised cuz he's like doing the payback thing. I mean, he's kind of letting He's letting the the two sides kind of war, you know. He's kind of staying neutral, he, so he's. He doesn't have a. He
0: doesn't really have a choice, though. He, right. He's, right.
1: Um, but Murillo definitely, I feel like, has has this kind of. Um, I mean, we don't really know her background, and that's that's yeah. kind of you know. I, mean, I was gonna say, you know, who are the best people in the film? The horse.
5: <laughs>
0: yeah, <know>? there's the, <laughs> the horse because they have no real they have no real agency they're just sort of stuck in their situation i mean there's this is kind of reality of a woman in the old west <laughs> It's
2: more like like maria maria is the mary magdalene of of the whole situation she's yeah. The, yeah. the blessed the blessed whore you know what i mean it's just that's that unfortunately there you go
0: but she i mean at, at the very least corbucci is uh and uh, as we go through these, by the way, uh, it's going to be a recurring theme that women aren't treated very well in these films. Like, that's as just, that's they just, should be. That, that's just uh, European films in general at this period.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's Westerns as well. Like Westerns, oh, Westerns are just
0: yeah. not, you well, well,
1: know.
2: <laughs> but um, is, but I, 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 will yes, say,
0: I will say Corbucci is actually quite a bit better on this stuff than most spaghetti Western directors are. And Maria at least gets to do some stuff in this film compared to a lot of the contemporaries at the time. Well,
2: that's the thing about this film. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's the thing is like that's the thing when it was written that is so interesting because when Django sees Maria, she sees – he sees how important she can be. Like, I can use her to do this. I can use her to do that. She is important because of this. She's important because of that. And, like, stretches her multifaceted, you know, importance in the film that quickly. Like, that's why I'm saving this bitch because it's not because she can just sleep with me now and again and I'll kill her later. I mean, she is they, – they set up this very structured thing in showing her importance and showing how multifaceted she can be in the film and letting her do things too. For her own I mean, he, nature. He, he
1: he opens up to Maria before yes. they sleep together like they there there right. is a you know and and I think that they they are i mean to for nineteen sixty six and for this genre and for this like I think that it the film does sort of treat them as equals in some ways you know mm-hmm. um once you kind of grade it on that very steep Well curve well, of, well right. they
0: they 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 see a connection that they're both damaged people, and they they mm-hmm. connect on that level in Django because he is. He is a guy. He, he's an opportunist. He, he sees people he can use. He sees that, hey, this is a woman who is both tough. She's not going to back down. She has a fucking beef with these people. I can use that as well. So, I mean, he he sees that in her, and her and that of course comes out in her character throughout the movie, where she is she is pretty fucking tough, and she knows what she wants. She wants to get the fuck out of there, and if she can if she can. Fuck Django and have little Djangos of their own, <laughs> but, but of course Django's not up for that because he's like I can cool. never love another woman. And little Djangitos, you know. And little jangitos. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Django is a Romani name, and uh, you know the Romani's are, are you know kind of obviously they are uh, you know travelers and drifters and, yeah. and uh, that sort of thing, which yeah, I that... think is. Uh, interesting, you know, thematically. That's,
0: that's part of it, and also, basically, the name Django is, Corbucci directly stole this, basically from Django uh, Reinhardt, who uh, the, jazz, the jazz guitarist, and of course, there's the motif of the crippled hands at the end, and Django Reinhardt had crippled hands, he was a jazz right. guitarist he had crippled hands, so I, I, I think that's something maybe a lot of people didn't actually pick up on initially when this was released, but uh, that, that is that is a direct kind of thing, like uh, again I'll go back to Corbucci is I think I think he's highly underrated even though people kind of recognize him as like the secondary like to Leone. He is a fucking brilliant director I think. I I, I love a lot of his films not just the spaghetti westerns and he he puts a lot more depth and interesting ideas in his stuff than um even stuff I don't think uh Leone would have thought of in some of his films. So um
1: I mean, some of the framing, some of the directions, some of the performances—even, you know—are uh-huh. are way more interesting than you would really give it credit for. And again, a lot of it is subtle enough that it takes a couple of viewings. I mean, I've seen this three yeah. times now, and it—it it takes a a little bit to to kind of um, pick up on some of the subtleties of it. So, um, I would recommend seeing this at least twice if you're if you're kind of listening to this. And
0: yeah. Along. And I mean, try try to. If you're if you're gonna watch this, I I I gotta really say like try to pay attention to the characters and try to pay attention to the story and try not to get distracted by the fact that this is obviously a B-level picture even for spaghetti westerns. This is a very low-budget picture and there are some frayed corners to it. And there there is that sense of unbelievability. If you're not familiar with the spaghetti western genre. You have to take certain leaps of logic. Like some of the stuff is very cartoonish, comic book to a certain degree. I mean, just the fact that Django has this big fucking gatling gun in in his coffin that can shoot infinite bullets, and the bullets in the actual gun and the, the bullet belt does not move at all. Right, the gun, the gun does not overheat and stop after shooting for three seconds in a row, which it would have happened, you know. And they
2: were, they were water-cooled, weren't they? They were. That's why the whole point yeah. is most of those were water-cooled guns. So but the thing is, people that are into the style, I guess, those genres of the B-movies, they already know this. They already yeah. look past this kind of stuff. And I agree. As a guy who only watched the film once, probably on fast-forward, not saying that. <laughs> um... Never. I, a, a secondary look would have been very, very helpful for me to get other things out of the film as well. But unlike most films that I do talk about on this podcast, I actually did technically watch it, unlike the other films. So, you know, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. Just putting it out there. But, yeah, definitely give it a second go. And And most people don't notice, know, or give a fuck that the gun's not working right. But... Yes, you will notice that, especially with that gatling gun scene.
0: Yeah, I mean if you're <laughs> if you're one of those and I, I encounter these people like you know, I talk to people at westerns and stuff like that, and I encounter some people who are just taking out of them film because the gun play and the guns themselves are inaccurate. I mean There is actually pretty much only one gun in this film that is kind of historically accurate. Most of the other guns in this are not historically accurate to the time period at all. And this is the kind of thing you'll see throughout most spaghetti westerns at the same time because they just got a hold of whatever fucking prop guns they could get. To make their films because these are all low budget productions, right? So, you know, they have to go with something. If, you, if you're going to nitpick this film to that degree, then you're probably watching the film for the exact wrong reasons anyway. Go read Guns and Ammo and Jerk Off already. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I did
2: that. Like, you know, funny you said that. I did that three times today.
1: Oh, That's geez. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the, the fact of the machine gun that makes no sense, you know, like like mm. the, the fact that he has this, that just sells him even more as this almost avenging angel kind of character, you know, yeah. as, as imperfect as he is. I mean, he, he kind of works as this figure of justice in a way because he is destroying these even worse people. You know, yeah. like, like I mean, you know, and, you know, even though he kills Nathaniel and even though the prostitutes don't have work anymore, uh, you can definitely see, like, uh, well, you know, in a few years maybe other people move into town and they don't have to deal with the uh, the racist dickbags anymore who yeah. literally make sport out of killing Mexicans. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Well, at the same time, I do love the mysticism, the superstition about the child coffin. The coffin just made everything so much fucking cooler in the film for me. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the watching the bar fight when like the they the Mexicans keep like like almost falling into it. And they go, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, fuck!" and they run away. Like <laughs> I'm like, I love that. It's great. I love that so much. So they this this kind of the fear that it kind of brings into. Absolutely love the shifting eyes. There's so many shifting eyes. I think they over shifted eyes sometimes, but there's so many shifting eyes in this film. Like everyone's looking at everybody and everyone's like eyeing the coffin the whole time. Like what the fuck is up with this guy and so, stuff. When he first sits there and just wants some fucking food and some uh, and a beer,
0: like come on, let's do this. Um, oh, he, I I love how that that fucking wormy ass preacher. But by the way, the uh, ear cutting scene that Quentin Tarantino directly ripped for mm. Reservoir Dogs. I, I love how that wormy ass fucking preacher walks in there and, and confronts Django, and Django just looks up at him nonchalantly and spits the fucking cork in his face, like mm. this. Yeah. Fucking badass is fuck, man. Like that is great. The way he spits it in his face too, it's like, you're nothing to me. Fuck off. Like of this. Yeah, that's that's Nero's performance there. I mean the best thing about this is like Nero's performance it's not hampered by the fact that depending on what D V D version you get, most people who listen to this are gonna either listen to the American language track. Or they're going to listen to the Italian track that was dubbed by Nando Gazzalo, uh Was brought in to dub the voice for uh, Nero at this point because Nero's 23 years old, and they felt he was too young to portray the character to a certain degree. Like even the line, like the wrinkles you see on his eyes, that's all makeup design. That's oh, not really? wow. his wrinkles.
2: Wow, no, okay. yeah. I think he did a great job. It was perfect. Yeah, no, he
1: did, he doesn't look twenty three here.
2: There's a film right after that that I saw. Uh, it was a du- I didn't watch both films because I I barely fast forwarded through this piece of shit. So I mean, there's I didn't <laughs> have a lot of time for the other one, but like there was uh, Django, the Return of Django or Django Strikes Again, and that Django looks like basically on the cover. It was more of those that really really rough but sexually. Adventurous Django. It was like one of those uh, Harlan Quinn romance Djangos. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, like it didn't, it didn't play. I, like, I didn't even bother watching it. You know what I mean? But like the first Django just fit everything that I was hoping for well, so well.
0: I'll, I'll say this about Nero. He's a fucking beautiful man. He, the guy is in his seventies now, and he doesn't look that old at all. Like this is a guy who's been remarkably preserved over the years. Like he's one of those guys who's just got. Genetically gifted beyond all fucking belief. <laughs> the, the, the guy is fucking handsome as shit. If I was fucking gay,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he's, was. he's almost got those Paul Newman eyes as well. You know, like he's yeah. almost got that kind of you know. That, uh, there's a Robert Redford quality to him. You know? Yes. Yeah. And, and yet with with this kind of raw energy that, that even Redford never really had, that this kind of gritty energy. So he's a fascinating performer.
0: Yeah. Uh, The dubbing is not his voice, uh, depending on what version you see, and most versions you're going to see are not going to be his voice. His physical performance, he still shines through. Like, he still brings it. What do you guys think of the main villain here, Major Jackson? Because I I I thought he's kind of an interesting character. Like, he kind of speaks to... Like, he's definitely uh, set up... Like, they don't spell out specifically that he's the Ku Klux Klan, but he's a very Ku Klux Klan, racist, confederate kind of character. I I thought it was kind of interesting, though, that he is... One of these guys who is racist, but at the same time he'll work with Mexicans or any other sort of person of different skin color if it's convenient for him. You know, like because he because he he uh, pals up with the Mexican uh, government to and their soldiers to take out the Mexican revolutionaries mm-hmm. and. And he's cool with Nathaniel having a cold-blooded <laughs> Mexican prostitute in his brothel. So he, he's very much that kind of hypocrite, but at the same time, you know, just fucking evil as fuck too. Like well, he he, got, he guns down Nathaniel at the end of the film, uh, just just coldly. Like Nathaniel says, Django's hands are broken. He'll be no trouble to you at all. And he just okay, whoa, Bye, Nathaniel. Whoa,
3: whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I I found I found Jackson to be a really interesting character, and I mean it. it you know, you're right. It speaks to the reality of the kind of politics of the situation. That is, you know, yeah, I'm not just gonna out and out murder every brown person I see. Like, I don't like them. If they don't mean anything to me, yeah, I'll literally turn them into sport. Yeah, let's have a great time. Shoot the Mexicans.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Let's let's go off. Let's spread the uh, the white jeans around. Let's uh, you know, do. But but ultimately, it's like, um, well, you know, this one's useless, useful to us for now and that's and that's kind of the just as far as it goes. Yeah, I I really thought that uh, I really I mean I I thought the racial uh, implications especially for 66 were pretty um pointed, especially on a second watch. I mean, Django basically picking fights and going like you guys are racist and that's why he kills them, you know, <laughs> which uh, which is definitely one of those things that feels like very again very 1966. This very kind of it it exists in that moment, you know.
0: And uh, Eduardo Fajardo is still alive today. He's sort of semi-retired now. He still does stage stuff, but he's living in Hersical uh, Elmeria. He's been in over 2,000 television programs and 180 films and 75 plays. And we've actually seen him in some other stuff that uh, we've uh, covered on this podcast. He's He's been in Nightmare City. He was in the Spanish scenes for the Spanish version of Oasis of the Zombies. So, <laughs> Daniel's favorite. Yeah, and uh, some other people in this cast have been in uh, some stuff we've seen, but uh, a lot of these people are going to show up in future films that we're going to be covering in this sort of initial look at Spaghetti Westerns. So uh, we'll sort of cover them as we go along. Should we just mention briefly the sequel to this from 1987, Django Strikes Again? Yeah,
2: sounds good. Let's do yeah, it. I did
0: briefly mention it. That, uh, was, that was enough. That was a. <laughs> so this is this was a different director in this one, but it basically had Corbucci as a advisor role kind of thing because he was pretty sick at this point. He died 1990, I believe. So they bring Django back 20 years afterwards, and he's you know he's a converted monk trying to escape his past of a gunfighter, and then his estranged an estranged woman uh, that he's shacked up with tells him we have a child, and the child has been abducted by these uh, Hungarian soldiers who were for a while in cahoots with the Mex- Mexican government until the revolution. And then now they're basically just slave traders and mercenary pirates going on their own. I know you watched it, Daniel. What did you think of Think of it? I,
1: I thought like, wow, well, it, it doesn't feel very connected to the original except in like, kind of the character, you know, But mm-hmm. but I mean, It feels very, I mean, if the first one is kind of playing with these political angles in terms of kind of like Reconstruction Era America, the sequel kind of Twenty years later is playing with ideas about like this kind of colonial Latin America in a way, you know. There's yeah. this very kind of uh, banana republic kind of thing kind Does, of going doesn't on. Doesn't it
0: feel like a Vietnam movie, like Chuck Norris missing it an feels, action? It feels.
1: It feels like it feels like those '80s Central. It feels. Like, I kept thinking of Commando, that Arnold Command- you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Commando or
0: Rambo too. Rambo, yeah, like it's it's
1: it's it's very clearly or
0: the uh, the No
1: Retreat, No Surrender two. It kind of reminds yeah. me of. Like, there are a ton of these movies that kind of take place in, like, vaguely ill-defined jungle with um white dude coming in with a machine gun to save natives from a rich white guy who's oppressing them. Like, it's very much that kind of story, you know? Yeah. It's a really effective version of it, I mean, especially for, you know, kind of low-budget and... You know, kind of, kind of existing that way. I mean, I, I kind of was watching it, and I'm like, man, this is there. There's some fascinating kind of ideas that you could, especially like connecting this straight back to the uh, the Western genre. You know, kind of saying this is ostensibly the same character, and so you know, this kind of figure of questionable morality, then kind of goes off and and becomes a monk for a while, and then is kind of brought out of that in order to go on this adventure in this you know colonialist narrative. There, there's some really interesting connections you could draw there that I don't, I didn't quite like, you know, put all those pieces together. But there's something really interesting going on there. I found it to be a fascinating watch.
0: The, the first time I watched, it, I kind of hated it because I was, just, I think I just kind of lazily watched it. What, rewatching, well, it's not
1: a western. It's not, and it's no. in no sense. It's in no sense like a direct sequel. Like, if what you get out of Django is the kind of like, oh, nice like western motifs and it's kind of interesting and kind of Leone and you know all that kind of stuff and her... um you know, the, the the score. This is this is straight up like Rambo picture. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like this is very eighties action movie set in a jungle. So so you have to almost connect it. It's a different genre entirely,
0: you know. Yeah, although it, it kind of has the aesthetic and looks still of like the spaghetti Westerns to a certain degree, just just because
3: it was, cheap. A cheap,
0: it was a cheap Italian movie, yeah. So right, it's, right. it kind of looks that way, right? You know, I think there's some interesting ideas. They, they tried to go for some interesting stuff. I don't think it really comes together all that well. But Nero is still really good in it. And
1: Well, any any film that includes a lepidopterist character, I'm going to kind of appreciate just for that.
0: You know? <laughs> I, li- I like that uh, Nubian, like, servant slash dominatrix, you know, with the Yeah,
1: whip. that was a really, weird. Weird. I mean, you know, God, you know, and... Uh...
0: Yeah, uh, there's, there's just a really interesting thing. stuff going on there. And then Donald Pleasence is in it, of all people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, oh, he's okay, just now I have to watch it. He's just there in a white top hat and a fucking white suit, and he's just—I'm this hes the Scot- comic relief. Yes, <laughs> he's this Scottish uh, fucking bug expert who is uh, basically just captured by these Hungarians because the uh, the lead Hungarian bad guy is into. Butterfly collection and moth collection and stuff. Little, so he's like
2: a little entomology chaos. That's a yeah. Word. He's an
0: entomologist and and so he's like basically he,
2: this is this film made Silence of the Lambs happen. Okay, we good. Yeah. We
3: good.
0: We <laughs> there got we it. go. There we go. Yeah, there, there
1: is there. I mean, there are hints of that. Like I mean, you know, it's 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 playing with some of the same ideas.
0: Yeah, so there's the one truth sequel from Django by the way for everybody. That's the one that you can actually say is a although, true sequel. Although
1: John Sales is working on a new sequel now.
0: Yes, and, and Franco Nero is uh filming currently and, in this
1: And it's coming back. It's going to be set 50 years after the original, which I yes. think is um, amazing. I'm, I'm fucking I'm so excited. excited.
0: I am, too. I, I want to see it because Franco Nero still fucking looks good at 70. So I he He's one where I can actually believe him still being an action hero compared to like Harrison Ford or Arnold Schwarzenegger or one of them. I kind of think Nero can still sell it Like as this old gunfighter. Being I, brought mean, back. I mean,
1: this, this could be unforgiven, but like, you know. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. He's, not, he's, he's not bedridden, which is nice, so it's not like Django Unchanged. <laughs> so, you know what I mean, like so
3: nicely so, done. Nice you know that's, what I mean,
2: so that's it's like, brilliant. oh, so that's good. That's not adult diaper Django, so we're yeah. we're good. I like
0: that, so that's uh, so, good. So there was a remake of Django, like an official remake of Django by Takashi Miike, who's better known for horror movies, like adaptation uh, stuff like that, called Sukiyaki Western Django, and I, <laughs> I'll just say, depending on your taste. I tried to watch this, and goddamn, I couldn't watch it. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is this is in this as a gunslinger. It's very kind of meta, very uh, homage very kind of on-the-fucking-nose. A little Another too one. much for me. It's me. Yeah. Well, this is Tarantino's thing. the gunfighter? Kind of. Well, he's one of the gunfighters in it. Well, see, uh, I
2: can see Tarantino bitching about a bagel he got wrong, not really a gunfighter.
0: Like, I don't... <laughs>
2: I don't get well, it. Okay,
0: Ter- well, is a terrible actor. I'll just put it out there. He, he's Thank not you. very good. Uh, and he's not very good in this, but it, it, he, the movie kind of hides it because the movie is kind of bad. This is like a really bad Takashi Miike movie as far as I'm concerned. It's very stylish. It's very bombastic. And I think it just kind of misses the whole point. All the other, you know, if if you're looking for uh, a Django remake, that is the one. I I will I will mention uh, quickly some ones you might want to look for uh, that are sort of the unofficial sequels to Django that were kind of made. One we're going to be covering in the next episode, which isn't really an unofficial Django sequel, but it's one of the better sort of steal the name of Django films. Thomas Milan starring in Django Kill, If You Live Shoot, from 1967. There is the Gianni Jarkonnen, uh $10,000 blood money from 1967, which is pretty decent. Terrence Hill was in Get a Coffin Ready, or also known as Viva Django, in 1968. And, and a lot of these unofficial Django sequels, by the way, involve Django avenging a, a dead sibling or a dead spouse. Uh, i if you, if you take these all as canon, where there's some sort of progression in the storyline, basically Django had this large extended family who have all been murdered, and he's avenged all of them in these films. Uh, that's kind of how this goes. But in this one, he avenges his wife. Actor Anthony Steffen, who is actually a pretty well-known Spaghetti Western actor, starred in, like, over 25 films... More of a direct kind of Clint Eastwood rip-off. He's his, his acting, it's much more stoic and wooden in that kind of frame. But he did uh, Django the Bastard in 1969, which is actually kind of a precursor to High Plains Drifter, because he's kind of a supernatural character in that one, like taking revenge. And then there's W. Django, <coughs> or A Man Called Django, depending on what title you look for, also starring Anthony Stephan, which is also pretty good. And there's uh, Django against Sartana. Sartana's a character... In spaghetti westerns, we'll probably cover the second time we go into this or our series go. Uh, but it's sort of kind of a team up between two kind of popular character names in spaghetti westerns. Yeah, and then, Django, Django, and his his
2: amazing friends, and Django <laughs> masters
0: of the universe. Django and the super friends, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's another one. Don't wait, Django, shoot from 1967, which is also pretty good, but. Uh, those are ones you should look for. And they're all from, this, like, in the 60s. I mean, those are pretty,
2: re-
1: you know, direct, direct
2: J- kind of Django
0: Django was so popular that everyone ripped it off. I mean, the box office in the USA was, like, only 25... Well, no, actually, this is modern box office in the USA. I guess uh, the number is 2013. A re release was just, like, $25,000. In Italy, in its initial release, it had 1.02 uh, million, uh, I guess, what, lira in Italy? Um... Mm-hmm. In Spain, it was uh, $32.7 is Oh, no, 3200000 But But uh, it, it did very well. It like, made a shitload was, of money.
1: <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it really did. It, not, yeah. let's, not, dude, let's not convert currencies here. It's not that yeah. you know. It made a shitload of money. But it it's it it, it, $3 it,
2: million. It, it, corona. We got this. The <laughs> rubles involved. But it, at the it, same it, time it's like that's the classic Italian once it does well, grab it, run with it, and never stop fucking making money off of it. But at yeah. the same time, it does bastardize the first film, but I'm very you know, it's it shows how well I mean, and how well appreciated that film is.
0: Yeah, I mean that name that was used for movies and other genres from Italian cinema just because Django was so popular. Like, that that name sold so well. This movie was banned in Britain for 20 years or so. It got its first actual release in Britain in 1993. That's, uh, that's how long it was. You know, I think that was kind of the video nasty stuff. Um, right, right, right. That's not too surprising. No.
2: Halloween, Halloween two got released in Germany in 2010. Yeah, yeah, so that is not too freaking surprising. I mean, that's I mean, I don't know, censorship in in Europe is is a weird is a weird mistress to play with.
0: Yeah, if you're interested in getting this on DVD or Blu-ray, there are several versions out there. In 2002, Anchor Bay released a Region Zero two-disc DVD that has Django and Django Strikes Back. Yeah, so that that's a double disc uh, you can get that has that and... A lot of unique extras only to the Anchor Bay version on that. That that one's probably harder to get. That's probably expensive at this point. There's a 2003 Region 1 2-disc <sighs> and 1-disc DVD releases uh, from Blue Underground. Uh, the 2-disc is pretty extensive. has a lot of good stuff in it. This is the first time uh, Django was re- released uh, uncut. They found some vault materials. That's uh, The 1-disc is the one I own where some of the stuff's a little scratchy, but it's still really fucking good. I think the two disc uh, has Franco Nero's Italian uh, audio dub on it uh, for the first time, so uh, that's that's interesting to look for. That's something that I'd actually want to listen to. The Blu-ray format they have one for Blue Underground came out in 2010, which I believe also has the Franco Nero audio on it finally. There's a Blu-ray from Argent Films that is Region Zero from 2013. Depending on what you're looking for, go to DVDBeaver.com if you want to see, like, the differences. And you can pick and choose. But this film has been done a lot of justice in uh, DVD and Blu-ray. So, uh, you know, probably in thanks to Quentin Tarantino to a certain degree, but, you know.
1: If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch this for free right now on Amazon. That's how I watch it. And uh, if you just want to rent it, it's like 3 bucks for rental on Amazon. Okay. So yeah, it's a it's a really good print of it. It looked gorgeous. So
0: yeah, yeah. and it it is interesting to see like the differences between the um, the uh, English and the Italian uh, tracks. By the way, because where you were you said earlier where um, they talk about how uh, the Major's going to come back with his men and he says he has forty eight, and the Italian track is just forty. Like there there's just some good subtle differences here and there, you know. So you know, depending on which track you listen to, language wise, uh, Django's kill counts slightly different. Still impressive, though slightly different. But anyone have any final thoughts they want to put towards this one? I love the end of the
2: film. I like that he uses the cross to support the gun, that kind of symbol of death. He has almost this pariah feel to him that I'm going to, you know, nothing's going to stop me from getting the bad guy, that kind of feel. Like it does have this kind of silver lining that you feel in your heart at the end of the film that normally. The rest of the film just showed you that this is going to turn out badly, guys. Just prepare for that. But they do give you that little breath of the end. But it is a hollow victory. Everything around him in his life is destroyed, and he does walk a uh, crippled away into the sun or hobble, I guess you want to call it, <laughs> into yeah. the sunset. But you know, um, I do like the, the the graveyard scene, the cemetery scene. It gives you this this dark, uh, bitter realism to it that, that I I really appreciated. And um, at the same time, I feel like he was wasn't just playing. I mean, he was seriously injured. Like he's he they know he's fucked up, but yet at the same time. I'm not going down like this. He does have this, I'm not going down like this attitude. When he yells, when he yells out right, right out before he starts firing, like it just like, boom, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I had, I did have a very, a very heroic kind of uh, exclamation at the end there that I did really appreciate. But, and then of course he hobbles to his feet and then, the rest of the film is the rest of the film. But I definitely appreciated the film in its entirety, and I've never actually seen a Western that has quite that kind of vibe throughout the whole thing and never shot like that. Little nuances like we talked about before. The fucking town is a mud hole. Like mm-hmm. that realism that other Westerns don't give you, that dirty realism. So, I mean, definitely something... Anyone who is a fan of Italian cinema, B-cinema... Or wants to get into westerns. This is definitely one to watch. Yeah. As a guy who watched it for the very first time, definitely
0: awesome. Anything, Daniel? You want to finish off with? Or
1: I feel I feel pretty confident. Feel pretty comfortable. I agree with Paul there. Actually, um, great film. Maybe you know, if you if you're kind of listening to this and you haven't uh, seen the film before, you might kind of approach it and kind of. <laughs> you, you might think we've praised it a little bit too much, especially on a, on a kind of a first, you know, kind of superficial watch through. Um, there is some like kind of plot mechanic stuff in the middle that kind of it does kind of have a very strong beginning and end, and then kind of a lot of a muddle stuff in the middle, you know, kind of as we're uh, kind of following some characters around. Um, structurally, it does have some issues. Overall, a really great film, a really great performance in um, Franco Nero, obviously hugely influential, and just, a, just visually and uh, the score. The score by Bachlav. Uh, Bakalov, was Bakalov yeah. Brilliant, brilliant score. One of my favorite uh, composers. I've been. I was actually listening to a bunch of his stuff on YouTube yeah. as I was uh, writing the synopsis. So you
0: know. Yeah, I should uh, remiss if not to mention uh, Django Unchained at least briefly. Uh, how, how do you think it does as kind of a you know uh, kind of a tribute in in a certain way to uh, the original Django? Because I I think it it does lift kind of some of the plot elements. Tarantino's not making a spaghetti western. He's making his own western that kind of draws some elements from the original film, like the the racist angle, you know, the the man driven for revenge kind of angle. Ultimately, I think you know it's it's a very different film in in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: Tar- Tarantino's doing something very different, and um, I have. Huge thoughts about Tarantino. Um, well, I'm writing about Tarantino right now, actually. You know, I, My wife and I did a, did a bonus content episode about Daniel Change, so I've kind of had my thoughts about that film yeah. already, or at least some of my thoughts, because I could talk about that fucking film forever. It's a, a brilliant film. I think that what Tarantino does is he takes that, and because especially watching the sequel, especially watching Strikes Again, there's a very deliberate political angle to both films, and I think that Tarantino picks up on that and then like inverts it and puts it in his own direction. And the decision yep. to make his Django a, uh, an American slave definitely um, kind of plays on that. You know, it gives that kind of subtext to the revenge in a way that um, even um, the original doesn't doesn't have necessarily. I love Django Unchained. I rewatched uh, most of it before. I mean, we it was like we're not gonna talk about it while they're watching it. But I sit down and watched like two thirds of it just because. Um, <laughs> I watch it all the time, and uh, I, th- I think it's a worthy successor, and I think that people who find the original through the Tarantino version I think will be happy with
5: it, you know, I, yeah. think,
1: I think it does play with some of the same ideas, just not in quite as uh, sophisticated a way, but um, yeah. yeah
0: yeah All right, uh, Paul, we'll start with you. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Oh, you can go to uh, oil paintings by P. Ramelli
2: on Facebook and com oil paintings by me you can find me on pa brew news on facebook and one word pa brew news on youtube for beer reviews related stuff like that and on youtube funeral dust 666
0: or metally stuff yeah and go to his painting website and buy his shit because it's good so yes and i'm broke so that works out well yeah daniel where can people find you on the
1: interwebs uh, you can find me, I do a bunch of podcasts uh, on various things, mostly science fiction related. It uh, started as Doctor Who, but it's kind of moved on. Uh, you can find all, of that, at, all that at oispaceman.com. Uh, that's oispaceman.com, all one word. And I write a weekly-ish um, column over at ritualandpress.com. And uh, I'm hoping to get a little bit of a discussion about Hateful Eight up for by the time this, this podcast goes out. So hopefully that will be up. If not, it'll be a couple of weeks down the line. But, you know. It'll be up eventually.
0: Sweet. And, uh, of course, you can visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our links to iTunes, YouTube, Facebook. Facebook is the best place to find us and interact with us. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Go there. Join up. It's free. There's no dickbags on it. And you can just, you know, interact with the community. It's a small one, but uh, we're getting some good discussions going, and it's a good place to... Ask questions and get your questions answered. Get your film requests answered. Next episode is going to be the sort of horror spaghetti western episode. So uh, we're going to be going for Django Kill, If You Live, Shoot, and Four of the Apocalypse. So so we're going to have a... We're going to have a a little bit of Fulci as well in there doing Spaghetti Westerns. So uh, that should be fun. And uh, hopefully we'll have Paul back for that one as well because I don't think he he wants to miss that one. Same bat time, same bat channel, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, And until then, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Daniel and Paul, for joining up. It's nice to have the whole uh, crew back together again. And uh, we'll see you guys again. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. You also can be found as part of the Oyspaceman family of podcasts at oyspaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through.